Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Have you ever wondered if Jesus was sexually tempted? Like really tempted, not in the holy way we typically think about Jesus, but sexually tempted in the way that you and me, that we're tempted. Have you ever thought of Jesus was sexually tempted? I mean, after all, he was an unmarried man. Did he get lonely? Did he ever desire to be married to a woman? Was he ever tempted with lust in his heart after he was teaching in the crowd and his eyes fell upon a beautiful woman? Did Jesus ever question his gender? What about same-sex attraction? I mean, what was it like to be the son of God and battle sexual temptation? He was known as the friend of sinners, but which kind of sinners? Were there certain categories of sinners that he wouldn't eat with? Or, or was it just the tax collectors? Or were the prostitutes also invited to the table so that Jesus could break bread with them? My question remains. What was it like for Jesus to battle sexual temptation? Now, please hear me. I don't raise these questions to be offensive in any way. And God knows my heart. He knows that I don't want to do anything that would bring dishonor or shame to the name of Jesus Christ, whom I love and serve. But the reason I raise these questions is because of what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, our high priest. Listen to these words. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. If this verse is true, which I believe it is, then I think it's so powerful, this series entitled, You Get Me, because that means that Jesus, he understands us in a way that we don't understand ourselves. And as I've been posing to you over the number of weeks, if he understands us, what does he do with us when he has us? Now, if you're new with us here at Pathways, I want to welcome all of our first-time guests, those of you joining us online for the first time, those of you in the room. And after that introduction... <laughs> wow, wow, you really chose a week to come to Pathways Church. Woo! Week one in this series, you get me, we talked about uh, politics and then racism, and this week we're steering headlong into sexuality. And if you want any of the notes and all the scriptures and all the slides, uh, I would encourage you to go to our mobile app. You can go to This Weekend, and on This Weekend, click under Message Notes, and all the verses, all the slides, everything will be there as well as additional content for you. And if you want to listen to those previous messages, I would encourage you, go to our YouTube uh, page or on our website at pathwayschurch.us or Facebook, and you can enjoy that content, share it, and continue to grow as God's Word is being taught. Now, Today, we're going to look at uh, sexuality. If Jesus gets you and if he gets me, then, then we're going to talk about this area, this topic of sexuality. And the first point on your notes is simply this. Jesus showed grace to people caught in sexual sin. Jesus showed grace. He didn't show judgment. He didn't show cruelty. He didn't show condemnation. 
the very first response of Jesus to our broken sexuality is grace. Jesus leads with grace. Jesus comes in grace and mercy. As John 3, 17 says, he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through himself. How does he save us? Through the mercy and the love of God. It's God's love that its fullest expression is the grace of, of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you the practical application of how this plays out in one of the most epic stories in the Gospels. John chapter 8, if you have a Bible beginning in verse 2, it says this. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. And what do you say? Like, what do you say, Jesus, to this woman? They were using this question as to trap in order to have basis for accusing him. So do you get the scene? It's early in the morning. Scripture says it's at dawn. The, the, the sun is just beginning to crest. And there at the Temple Mount, the most holy place with the most holy people, Jesus shows up to begin the morning lesson. And the moral majority, the Pharisees come and they throw this woman, they have her stand publicly, ripped from the arms of her lover just hours earlier, probably, I imagine, barely clothed in one of the most shame-filled moments of her life. She's standing in the most holy place in front of the most holy people with a rabbi who declares that he's the Messiah. He's totally like anybody else. And there she is. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine the, the fear and the shame and the guilt and the remorse? This is like one of those moments, you talk about gossip, this is gonna go out faster than anything has ever exploded on Twitter. This would just run rampant through all of Judea, all of Galilee, all, even the Samaritans would hear about this woman. So what does Jesus do? How is he supposed to respond? Obviously, he's being trapped by the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees because if he says, if he says, no, 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 just let her off this once, then he's guilty of breaking the law of Moses and he is condoning adultery. But if he says, yep, go ahead and stone her, then he loses his reputation as being this loving Messiah. So what does Jesus do? Oh, by the way, isn't it interesting that the man isn't brought before Jesus? Apparently, the Pharisees gave the man grace, but hmm, for the woman committing adultery, that's disgraced. Because the law says that both the male and the female committing the act of adultery are to be stoned. So there is... Jesus, and he's in this predicament, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are gathered around holding their rocks, and they're questioning him. They're pressing him. Should we stone her, or should we not? Tell us, Jesus, what should we do? The second part of verse 6 says this, Jesus ignored them. He bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up, and this is what he said to the Pharisees. One of the best lines of the story. 
He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with this woman standing there. Wow, that's pretty powerful. That little exchange right there is something that is transcendent of all of our fears and shame, all of our lusts, all of our desires, all of our brokenness, because we see that Jesus is doing something radically different in this moment. Have you ever been a part of a church or you've ever bumped up against religious people and all you ever feel from them is don't and this and condemn and put down. And Jesus, he just does something different. And if you're hearing this story for the first time, this is where the tension happens. This is, this is where all the exhilarating moments of the gospel, aren't you glad that the good news doesn't stop with the law? But, but that Jesus brings the gospel of grace. His first response to your sexual brokenness and to my sexual brokenness is always grace. Grace, grace. And so, He writes on the ground. Now, so many people want to know what he wrote. And I get that question sometimes as a pastor. What did Jesus write in John chapter 8? Don't know. Well, what do all the commentators say? They don't know. Well, what does Charles Spurgeon say? He didn't know. Well, what does Smith Wigglesworth say? He doesn't know. Did you call TBN? They don't know. Daystar? They don't know. Do you get my point? No one knows. But rather than focusing on what we don't know, let's focus on what we do know. What we know is that Jesus says, hey, if any one of you, you're without sin, go ahead, be my guest and throw the first stone. Jesus takes the smug and self-righteous Christians and all the religious teachers of the law and he says, you know what? Are you without sin? Then go ahead and stone this woman. Which, by the way, stoning, a public stoning is so brutal. It's such a slow form of execution, and it still happens in some parts of the world today. And so there is Jesus, and he basically just turns the mirror onto these religious individuals. So much so that the text tells us the older ones left first. They dropped all of their rocks, and they turned. Why? Well, maybe the older ones knew that they had accumulated so many sins in life, they were like, hmm. Or, or maybe the older ones were setting the pace and the tone because in the Jewish custom, if the older Pharisee would leave, it would be a signal to the younger one, if you don't know, this is the time that you follow me. <laughs> so put your rock down and let's get out of here because we were trying to trap this Messiah and here Jesus is like, yeah, no. Now here's what's key to the text. It's these two words, this phrase, without sin. If you dig into the original language, what Jesus is confronting inside the Pharisees is not just their external behavior. Also notice, he doesn't talk about their, their sexual sin. He talks about all of their sin. So he broadens the scope. And in other words, what he's saying is not just the external action of sinning, but has there ever been an inward posture or disposition that you wanted to sin? Because if you did, then you can throw a stone at her. But if you haven't, please put down your rock. And the sounds and the sight of that day as the rocks hit the floor and they all disappeared and faded off. Now it's probably eight, nine in the morning. 
and you have this defining moment where Jesus is kneeling on the ground and this woman is standing there beyond all of her wildest imaginations that this Messiah would meet her in the messiest moment, smack dab in all of her messiness and extend this kind of radical love and grace, something she could have never imagined or expected. And yet there was Jesus to say grace. He straightens up and he asks her this question. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says this in verse 11, no one, sir, then neither do I condemn you. Can we just pause there for a moment and imagine what that would have felt like as that woman? To know that she had broken the law, to know that she was guilty, to know that, that she had to pay a price, that she was an offender. And in front, in the most holy place with the most holy people, this Jesus does not condemn her. Can you imagine that? Can you just stop right there and say, wow. Like I can't even wrap my mind around that. He just says, I don't condemn you. If it were me, I think I would struggle to hear those words. Like, what do you mean you don't condemn me? I was wrong. You know I was wrong. We all read the same law. And Jesus says, no, 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 I, I, I don't condemn you. Because his first response is grace. But because of who Jesus is, and maybe this is the brilliance of Jesus, because his message to the Pharisees, if you've never sinned, if you're without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Well, that message is a message to all of us because there's no one on, on planet earth or no one that fills the pews that is sinless or, or that, that, is, that is perfect. So Jesus, he kind of knocks everybody off their high horse. And then he gives grace to this woman in front of everybody. But because of who Jesus is, here's the second point of the passage. It's simply this, that while Jesus gets sinners, while he sympathizes with sinners, Jesus is so clear that while he can be sympathetic toward people without being soft on sin. He, he, he's sympathetic. He gets this woman just like he gets you, just like he gets me. He gets us. He understands that we're all broken sexually, that it's all distorted, that the enemy has twisted and hooked lies in us, and there's so much confusion and chaos. I don't care what generation you're from. I don't care what continent you live on. I don't care. This area of sexuality is so messed up in all of us, and Jesus gets that. That's why he extends grace. But in terms of being sympathetic, he's never soft on sin. That's why he says in the very next verse, he says, go when, go now, and do what? Leave your life of sin. So he balances it, and he says, listen, if you want to live into the grace and the purity and the holiness that I'm offering you, if you want to receive and continue to strive in this, in this excellent way of following me, then you need to leave when, now, and do what? Leave your sin. Go now, leave it, be done with it, stop, walk in freedom. Now, this is a, 
pretty exhilarating. Wouldn't you agree if you were there that day and listening in on this story? Can you imagine what this would have been like? Because for this woman, the scripture doesn't tell us, is she a prostitute? If she is, that means that she has to forfeit her form of employment in order to gain other kinds of employment. If she's married and she committed adultery in her husband, then she has to leave her life of sin and go back and repair things in her marriage. That's hard. Either way, this is gonna be a difficult path for this woman to live out Jesus's sexual ethic and command to her. Just like it's difficult for you and for me to live out Jesus' sexual ethic and command in our lives. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you more influenced by what culture and media says is permissible and okay? Or are you willing to dig in and to dive into God's word and seek the heart of God and understand the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ? Because it begs the question for us simply this weekend, the question that's on the table is, what is Jesus's view of sexuality? What is his sexual ethic? In other words, what are his thoughts and attitudes and behavior as related to our sexuality? Well, if you're taking notes, it begins with this. If we stop with the story and then we broaden our our scope a little bit, let's look at uh, 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 Jesus's view of sexuality. This is how he gets us. And because he gets us, this is why he created us. His perfect picture for our sexuality begins with how he created us. Listen to Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female. Now, the theological truth of Genesis 1:27 is known as the image of God. What's the image of God? It means that we are created in his image. That means that you, every single person reflects the very image of God, male and female, all different ethnicities, all different cultures, all different heritages. Remember last week we talked about racism. That's why when God looks down from heaven, he can't wait for the day of Revelation 7, 9, and 10 to come to fruition. All people, all nations, all ethnicities, all gathered around the Lamb of God declaring and saying, yes, salvation belongs to our God. Like he sees that. He understands. He, he created us in our own, in his own image. Now, there, there are two things that this directly relates to with the time that remains in my message. The first is this. It's my promise. It's my commitment to you with the remainder of this message because you are created in the image of God and scripture declares that you are of value, respect, worth, and dignity. Not because it's PC, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the biblical thing to do. And that's what Jesus calls us to do as his followers, to show respect, honor, value, worth, and dignity to every person regarding of their understanding, regardless of their behavior, regardless of where they are on this faith journey. We're called to do that. So the first thing is, I am not going to weaponize the word of God. I am not, with God's help, I am not going to say any jokes. I'm not gonna do anything that would induce any kind of shame or guilt upon you. My calling as a pastor is to simply clearly teach God's word to the best of my ability under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to comfort, to convict, and to challenge. 
Now, the second thing that Genesis 1:27 helps us to understand is that gender, gender is a big issue today. Listen, gender is not on a continuum according to God's word. We don't choose what gender we are. We don't have a say in that. According to God's word, he creates. He doesn't say, hey, I created, and then you choose and figure out what you want to be. God says, I created you male and female. So, so this is a critical foundational verse in understanding God's perfect picture for our sexuality. First, it's how we're designed. It's how we're created. It's how we're created. The next part is simply this. If you want to understand the picture of God's perfect sexuality for us, he not only created male and female, but he created marriage between a man and a woman. Listen to Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become, say those last two words. I'll say it again. This is one of the deepest, most beautiful, sensual terms. This is pure ecstasy and mystery and sensuality at a core level in Genesis 2 that none of us know. We read that and we think, oh, yeah, that's great. We become two. Oh, yeah. Let me give you a little gift on Etsy or something. No, 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 friends. One flesh union is a seal between a husband. It's a lifelong seal between a husband and a wife, and it's done through the sexual act. It is that deep and mysterious to God that he allows two to become one. It's so powerful and profound. That's why Jesus He backs this idea of marriage between a man and a woman. He affirms this in Matthew chapter 19 when he says, hey, listen, you remember what it said in Genesis? I don't take that back. When he was being questioned on divorce, he said, no, no, no. Listen, what God puts together, don't let people rip apart. This is so important because of that one flesh union. Now, that's why at Pathways, we love married people and we love single people. We love married people. We want to make sure that you continue to grow in your marriage. Coming up in February, we have a a marriage night out. Make sure you look on our mobile app or talk to somebody out at Connect. Get you signed up for that because that's so important that continue to grow in your relationship with your spouse. Now, let's go back to this one flesh union because this is so critical. Everybody lean in here. This is really important. If God's perfect picture, if a part of that is the way he created us, and another part is the way he created marriage between a male and a female. So so the expression of sexual intimacy is in that containing understanding and umbrella of protection and peace and blessing for our lives. Are you with me? That means that everything outside of that, all sex in all forms is outside of God's will and is known as sin. Lust, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, incense, incest, polygamy, premarital sex, pornography, pedophilia, and cohabitation. Now, let me be a little bit more specific and hit on just a few. Lust. Jesus pointed out in Matthew 5, 27 and 28 that fantasizing about a person was spiritually equivalent to acting out that fantasy because both acts are deliberate and one can lead to another. Homosexuality. 
The Apostle Paul says in both Romans 1.27 as well as in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 that homosexuality is a sin and not congruent with God's view on sexuality. And while I understand that this is a raging issue, and I am so sympathetic to the LGBT community. Listen, if you're a part of that community, you're a part of Pathways Church, whether you're online, whether you're in the room, I've been praying for you this week, and I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that you are welcome here at Pathways. I want you to know that you are accepted here at Pathways. But I also want you to know that I cannot affirm your lifestyle because according to God's word, it's sin. Just like I can't affirm any other form of sex outside of what God deems appropriate as the affirmation of correct behavior. And oh, by the way, percentages, so limited to those who are struggling in the area of gender and LGBTQ, compared to all of us as Christians who are hooked into lust, who are hooked into premarital sex. Speaking of premarital sex, we have groups, younger generations asking, why is premarital sex wrong? Let me tell you why. Hebrews 13, four says it this way. It says, keep the marriage bed pure. Why? Because God doesn't want you to bring all those memories from all those other beds into the one bed that was meant to be pure and undefiled and lasting a lifetime. That's why. Because that stuff follows you, friends. Make no mistakes. Those encounters, those touches, those thoughts, those images, they go with you for a lifetime. And God is trying to protect you, to keep you pure, so that your marriage can find full fulfillment in the context under his umbrella of protection and blessing. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's also why cohabitation is a sin. We don't like to talk about that one, do we? You know why? Because it's been so normalized in our culture. So we focus on the one sin in this talk that everybody gets all pumped up about. You know what I'm talking about. And then we miss all this other stuff, don't we? Because that makes us uncomfortable because we know we're in that stuff, don't we? Isn't it just like the Pharisees? It's so easy to always see the sin in somebody else. Oh, look at him. Oh, I can't believe, really? Uh Uh-huh. And then when we get the mirror, it's like, oh, whoa, Jesus, grace, right? We got grace coming, right? Yeah, okay. Mm. What did grandma used to say? You got one finger pointing this way. How many got pointing back at you? Three. Cohabitation is a sin. Even sociologists, secular sociologists, note the negative effects of cohabitation. They coined the phrase cohabitation effect, which finds those who live together before marriage have a higher rate of divorce, infidelity, and less sexual satisfaction. Why? Listen, cohabitation undermines commitment. Undermines commitment. Pornography. You want to talk about that one? The latest stat that I saw this week? Evangelical men. 
These are men who say they put their faith and hope in Jesus. What the stats are, 68 to 74% of evangelical men struggle and battle against pornography. And women are not too far behind. Friends, we have a, a porn-demic occurring in our world today. And, and during the pandemic, if you look at the stats, the usage and the amount of sales as related to pornography is so overwhelming, I almost follow, fell off the treadmill when I was listening to the podcast. I couldn't believe it. It was just, it was crazy. It was unreal. And rampant lust and pornography leads to premarital sex and adultery, which can lead to the decision of what? Of an abortion. Are babies created in the image of God? I think so. And while we want rights for men and women, who speaks up for the unborn? We do. We do. Pornography also leads to other sexual sins like trafficking and human slavery. You know, I don't know if you know this, but one of our missions partners is Damascus Road, and they wage war on the exploitation of women right here in the Fox Valley. And you have been engaged in this battle, and I'm proud of you as a church. Back in November at Second Saturday, we made blankets for every woman for the entire year. We covered the blankets. We got it done. We give. When you give to God's kingdom through Pathways Church, you're giving to organizations like Damascus Road. And if you're new here today and you don't know Damascus Road, I want you to listen to Kelly. I want you to listen to Kelly who birthed this ministry and shares her heart around what God is doing in and through Damascus Road. Watch this video. My husband and I in 2001 had traveled to the Philippines to adopt our youngest daughter. She was 15 months old at the time that we brought her home. And I was having just a simple conversation with her orphanage director. And I had asked about all the homeless children I was seeing on the streets, the kids that were begging in traffic, the kids that were laying on pieces of cardboard. What is the fate of these children? What is happening to them? And she explained that there weren't enough orphanages for these children. So most of them had already been sold, tricked, traded, forced, coerced to child sex brothels there in the Philippines from literally newborn until um, young adulthood. And we got on the plane to come back home and I was sitting there and I said to my husband, what are we going to do about this information? Because I can't just get on the plane now and say, wow, that's really too bad. You know, someone needs to do something about that because someone needs to be a someone. And I didn't know I was gonna be a someone. I just knew something needed to be done. I was in Cambodia in 2009. One night we were in the red light district in Phnom Penh and we were driving along and I saw a Western Caucasian man purchasing a young girl right in front of us, making the deal and he was going to load her on his moped. It hit me that I just couldn't watch one more thing occur. We had helped a number of children while we were there, but this is happening right in front of my face. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I just couldn't watch one more thing occur. When I came back from Cambodia, I saw people differently. I saw someone who was vulnerable differently. I had been doing anti-trafficking work for a couple of years before I even realized it was happening in Wisconsin. I mean, I knew it was happening in Miami and LA and Atlanta. And, 
you know, New York, I knew that. But to bring it home here in our own backyard, I didn't realize that for a good 18 to 24 months doing the work. Someone in Wisconsin is, is probably gonna watch this video and say, oh, that's too bad. You know, I'm sure that happens sometimes. No, it happens all the time. People are blown away because it's unincorporated towns. It's every little city, you know, in the Fox Valley, it's every city in the Fox Valley and every town. It's Amro, it's Winnicani, it's Larson, it's Green Bay, it's Ashwaubenon, it's Greenleaf, it's, it's, it's everywhere, right? Our women are coming from everywhere, 511 since 2017, and that's with all volunteers. So we are in desperate need of more volunteers. Started something called Scarlet Cord, where I had taken 100 women, and I thought, I surely can find 100 people to pray for 100 women. And within a year's time, I had 1,000 women. And so we had 1,000 prayer sponsors. And that is the most crucial piece, is for praying for our women. They're going to get someone we work with directly, someone who's from Wisconsin, who's being sexually exploited. So they can adopt them in prayer. One of the things that we really try and impress on the women that we're working with is that they are valued and they are purposed and they are loved. And they don't need to do anything for those things, that we love them and they're valued just because of who they are. And we love them in their ick and in their mess. And we love them when they're out of their ick and out of their mess. I think you would agree with me that Damascus Road is a tremendous ministry. And if you want to be a part of that, you want to be a part of the Scarlet Cord and prayerfully just cover different women in prayer, then you can talk to Lisa. She's out of connect after service today. Now, this last section of the message I'm so excited about. This is the point that I wanted to get to to give to you, okay? If Jesus' sexual ethic is because how he created us and what he does in marriage and what is his plan and protection. He, here's what I want to say to you. Are, are you ready? Here's the third part. That Jesus wants to restore and heal and provide hope to bring us back to his way under his blessing for our sexuality. That Jesus wants to bring healing, that you can go, when, go, now, leave and do what? Leave your sin, that you can find freedom. I don't care if it's from lust or pornography or pedophilia or, or incest, whatever it is, wherever it is, if you're in an adulterous relationship, that you can turn from that, that you can repent, that you can walk out of that. You can say, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. So the question is, how? Everybody say, how? Yeah, how? Four things. First, you need to repent and renounce sin. Repent and renounce sin. Listen to Acts 3.19. It says this, repent then and turn to God. Repent and turn to who? Turn to God. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Sexual sin is so staining and scarring and it drains you because you're in bondage. And there's so much shame and trauma and ugly around sexual sin. 
And what the writer says is, if you repent, God will wipe the sins away and there will be a moment, a season, a lifetime of refreshment. Oh. But it's not just repenting. Second part of that is to renounce sin. What does it mean to renounce sin? It means to have a holy hatred of sin. Whatever sin you're trapped up into, and when it comes to your broken sexuality, my broken sexuality, we ought to be praying, God, give me a hatred for that sin. Give me a hatred. I, I want to hate that sin. I want to get sick to my stomach every time I think about that sin. God, give me a hatred for that sin. The second how, the second practical application is you got to fight the battle. Everybody say fight the battle. No, you got to fight the battle. Say fight the battle. You got to fight the battle. You got to fight the battle. Listen, when you overcome and defeat sin, you have to fight the battle. You got to take every thought captive. You got to make it obedient to Christ. You got to stand. You got to know your verses. You got to fight the battle. You can't just say, hey, Jesus, give me a new heart. He gives you a new heart. And then you go back and live your life of sin. It doesn't work that way. You're not condemned. He gives you grace. Leave now. Go fight the battle. Go fight. Go resist the enemy. Go say, man, I'm going to fight against this sexual temptation. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. Is it hard? Yes. Is it hard for me? Yes. Is it hard for you? Yes. Well, what age does it not get hard? It's always hard. Well, well, does it get easier? Yeah. But the enemy is sneaky. And he can come up like that and grab you. You have to fight the battle. You have to fight the battle. You have to fight the battle. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and daily follow me. You know what he's saying? You gotta mortify the flesh. You gotta kill it. You gotta destroy it. The Spirit's help and his word, you gotta destroy your flesh. Take up your cross. That means you got something to bear. And sometimes that's the hard work of tending to your sexuality so that it's in line with God's word. Here's the third thing. Gather information. You need resources and information. I'm just beginning to scratch the surface. There is so much out there that you need resources. You need to share things. You need to talk to people. If you go to our mobile app under message notes, at the end, you'll find a list of resources. A few podcasts, one on gender dysphoria, one on the pandemic. Uh, uh, there's a couple ministries uh, with some churches, our church, uh, Christ the Rock has a, a phenomenal ministry. Uh, so ministry, some resources. There's a book there that I, I placed for you. Uh, and there's one th that is on the mobile app. If you are more of a paper person, you can go to connect and pick that up. There's one though that's called Posture Shift. Posture Shift is a part of a ministry called Lead Them Home. And if you're struggling, your family, you have somebody who, a child or a grandchild struggling with uh, the uh, trans or lesbian gay community and, and asking questions, this is a very helpful ministry. And uh, as I dug into it, just uh, feel that it's grace and truth. And so make sure you gather, what I'm saying is you gotta gather information. You gotta gather information. Gather verses, gather scripture, gather your prayers, write your prayers out. You gotta gather information. And then the fourth thing is you have to get help. 
Sin grows in secret. Expose it with the light. Expose it with the light. You remember the verse that we, uh, the, the last verse of our story for today? John chapter eight, verse 11. Do you know the very next verse, what the very next verse says? Jesus declares, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Expose your sin to the light. See, my experience with repentance, my experience with God's conviction, did you notice in the story that Jesus didn't challenge her sin in front of the Pharisees? He challenged the Pharisees. They left, and then he challenged her sin. It's in the private, quiet moments where the Holy Spirit will say, you know, I know, and I love you. You're more than what they said. You're more than just a sexual object. The body parts, the memories, the thoughts, the scars. Sex is so delightful, friends, when it's done God's way. It's purifying. It's holy. It's like a fire to warm you. But it's also like a fire if it's uncontained. Not handled correctly, it'll burn you, scar you, it'll get infected, and it'll destroy you. Listen, this is a grace-giving, truth-bringing church full of love, and you don't need to walk in darkness. Jesus loves you. We love you. And, and in fact, while Jesus is here to change your heart. He's the heart surgeon. And picture it this way. We're all just part of the hospital. We're all just recovering patients. We're, we're, we're still getting over our wounds and our scars and we're growing to become more like Jesus that he can put our sexuality back in alignment and order. So you're no different, your sin is no worse. There's no shame. There's no guilt in this moment. We're here because he gets me. He gets you. He, he gets us. Do, do you understand that? Your past, your sins wiped away. The healing that you've so desirous of, he wants to begin today as you fight that battle, as we continue to wage war. He loves you so much. His grace is here for you. That's his first response. I know people are watching online. I know you're here today and you're thinking, Adam, I've done this a hundred times and I just get sucked. I get trapped. Today, go now. Leave your life of sin. You could do this. The power of Jesus is greater than any weapon, anything that is formed against you. It can prosper under the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And his community is here to love you and to cry with you and to say, yep, I understand. I know. I know. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of closing prayer? If you're here today and 
you need to hear from God, you know there's some things that you need to repent of. It's his kindness that leads you to repentance. It's his grace that meets you in this moment. There's no one here to condemn you. Imagine Jesus standing, looking eyeball to eyeball with you and said, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. He wants to love you. So in this moment, if you need to repent and renounce sin, I want you to do some work with God. Say, I'm sorry, forgive me. My heart is messed up. Oh God, have mercy on me. For some of you, you might be questioning the power of Jesus. One of our Pathways, core people who loves the Lord. We all have spiritual gifts and one of her gifts is just a word of wisdom or a word of prophecy and she felt like she heard from God and as I read this, scripture says to test the spirits, see if it's in alignment with God's word. And so I believe that this is a word of prophecy. This would be like Jesus saying this to you, especially if you're struggling with can I really trust? Can I really, can I really trust that Jesus can help me on this? Here's what Jesus would say. Lean not unto your own understanding. Lean into me. Press in. Press into me. Pour yourself into me. I can handle it all. I can. I will. I am. Some of you need to know that he can. Some of you need to know that he will. Some of you need to know that he is the great I am. So Jesus would say to you today, trust me and nothing or no one else. That's for you today. Receive that in this moment. There's no shame. There's no guilt in this room. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all called purity and holiness. So let the Holy Spirit minister to you in this moment. Oh God, do your work now. Do your work. Do your work by your Spirit. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe you're watching online, somebody shared this content with you, you're watching at a later date, this is your moment, your time, your day. You're saying, I wanna let go of my sin and I wanna invite Jesus Christ into my life. I wanna make him the leader of my life, Savior, Lord over everything. I wanna surrender, I wanna let go of my sin and I want Jesus to guide me to be my savior. If that's you today, you're watching online, you can just type in the chat, I'm giving my life to Jesus. You can reach out to the chat moderator, call us at the church, send us an email, tell somebody about this decision. It's a defining moment for you. If you're in the room today and you wanna make that decision, would you raise your hand, lift your hand up? Just wanna see you and acknowledge you in this moment. This is very important. Anybody today, you make a decision for Jesus Christ? might have missed your hand. I don't know who's online, but can we pray this prayer together as a church family? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. 
you know me better than I know myself. And you know I need a savior. So thank you for Jesus, who was sinless, tempted in every way, but did not sin. He became my sin on the cross so that I could be free from my sin and my guilt and my shame. So I repent. I confess it all. I put it at your feet. Now come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed with this prayer said, Amen. Hey, can we celebrate those individuals today who made this decision for Jesus Christ? Yeah, praise God. Praise God.